everyone, this is Dr. Michael Walden. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective, yet another fascinating topic. I want to thank you, the listening audience, for providing me with each and every show topic. I am interested in talking about and exploring what it is that you want to know about your health. Today's show topic is cancer, your chemistry, and nutritional supplements. Can nutritional supplements, including vitamins, minerals, herbs, and other forms of uh, nutraceuticals as they're known, really prevent and treat cancer? Well, we're going to find that out on today's show. And for those of you that are regular listeners, you know my promise. The Blood Detective promise is to discuss these topics honestly and from a perspective of, again, what we've called Blood Detective Common Sense so that you can make better healthcare choices. Not everything in natural medicine and natural healthcare uh, works. Not everything works quite to the extent it's claimed to. Some things used in natural health can hurt you. We're going to cut through all of that. This is the third show on cancer that I've done, and each of the topics have taken a different perspective on cancer. What today's show will do is first, Fulfill on the promise of can nutritional supplements, including, again, herbs, vitamins, minerals, nutraceuticals, can they prevent and can they treat and can they treat cancer safely? You know, human beings have been afflicted with cancer since antiquity. Several ancient civilizations described cancer in their writings and pictures and bone cancers have been diagnosed in even Egyptian mummies. Uh, Western medicine began its scientific inquiry into the causes of cancer in 1775, where an English doctor, Dr. Pott, observed that chimney sweeps, uh, these people who would clean out the chimneys, they would develop unusually high rates of testicular cancer. And this was a smart guy. He put two and two together. He suggested that this increased risk of cancer in the chimney sweeps was due to an agent in the chemistry, or I should say in the chimney suit, or the soot. So what's amazing to think about here is, although that seems like a pretty easy connection to make, this was the very first time that a a cancer-causing agent was suspected in the environment in a particular profession. Now, let's jump to today. Today, cancer is one of the leading causes of death in the United States. Now, in response to high mortality rates, the U.S. Congress declared a so-called war on cancer in the 1970s. I'm sure that some of you listeners remember when that actually happened in the 70s. War on cancer. Everything was a war on cancer. And the U.S. Congress mandated the ongoing collection of data on cancer incidence and mortality. So this is very, very important. This resulted in the establishment of uh, their surveillance, what's known as a surveillance epidemiology and end results program, which is the SEER for short. And this program administered by the National Cancer uh, Institute was in charge of collecting data. So we have this data now. So 
using the SER data, the National Cancer Institute developed and continues to update statistics on a broad range of cancer-related issues. You know, based on the, some of the latest data, about 42%, probably higher, of all male and 39% of all females are expected to develop cancer at some point in their lifetimes. That is scary. I'm going to say that again. At least 42% of all men out there and 39% of all women are expected to develop cancer at some point during your lifetime. And considering these statistics, which were gathered over many years, it obviously behooves us to take preventative measures. And what are preventative measures? Well, that depends on who you ask. In traditional medicine, preventative measures are mostly um, preventative medical visits and examinations. But uh, we know that that doesn't go very far. In the area of natural medicine, preventative measures would clearly be to clean up one's diet, eliminating the foods, for example, which are known to promote various types of cancer, like, like charbroiled uh, foods, charcoal-broiled fu- foods, and of course, saturated fats and sugars and refined and processed carbohydrates, uh, meat in general, animal products also in general, and to increase our intake of organically grown, non-GMO, preferably gluten-free foods. Those are just some highlights. It is still shocking to me, though, um, from the perspective of a natural healthcare provider doing what I'm doing for around 27 years, to find that a good number of people that, that come to see me, even the higher educated people in this area, are not practicing appropriate preventative strategies. They might dabble in diet, and that's fine, but you need to make up for what you can't do with your diet in the form of nutritional supplements. It's my view that a combination of dietary cleanup, like what I've just discussed briefly, along with taking the proper nutritional supplements in the right ways for the right person, for the right cancer, at, at the right stage, based on their chemistry, can you say that three times fast, is what a person needs to do, whether it's cancer or any other health problem. From birth to death, along that spectrum of life, from health, hopefully when we're born, to various degrees of dis-ease and then eventually disease and death, we need to be aware of our nutrition nutritional needs as they change along that life's spectrum. Many people that I work with have been taking the same supplements pretty much more or less for years, making no adjustments because they heard that what they're taking is healthy or is the right thing. Look, cancer is the cause of significant morbidity and a high percentage of Americans will have to face this disease at some point in their lives. In fact, the overall incidence of cancer is, is, is at least 44% greater today than it was 40 years ago, and overall mortality is 3% greater than it was 40 years ago. So people, I don't have to tell you, those statistics are taken over a long period of time, and they don't lie. We must do things differently than we've been doing them. 
Let's talk for a few minutes about the use of complementary or holistic uh, health care by persons with cancer. But whether you have cancer or whether you know someone who has cancer, a family or a friend, or whether you want to help prevent cancer because you have, again, if you're a man, you've got a 42% risk of developing cancer in your lifetime. And if you're a woman, you've got a 39% risk. And I think these statistics are a little worse now. It behooves you to listen. Each year in the United States, over 1 million people are newly diagnosed with cancer. Approximately half of these people receive surgery. Some receive a rate, what's known as radiotherapy and or chemotherapy, and some are cured of their disease. The other half of the population is not so fortunate. Even with these therapies that I've just mentioned, most people diagnosed with cancer will die within five years of diagnosis. They will die within five years of being diagnosed. And the treatments themselves may cause further morbidity. Intensive treatments with radiation or chemo are commonly associated with a wide range of adverse side effects from nausea to bone marrow failure to neuropathy to brain fog. The list of side effects from chemotherapy and radiation are astounding. A good number of people that come to see me specifically come wanting me to help them use nutrition and diet and lifestyle to reduce the side effects of their chemo chemotherapeutic and uh, sometimes uh, radiotherapy choice. I, I would have to admit that most people that I see have chosen a combination of chemotherapy and or radiation along with the best nutrition that I can provide for them. And that is their choice. I'm not saying that's the choice that I would personally make, but this, this depends on many, many factors. But suffice it to say for now that I will respect the decision of anyone who, who provides me with the honor of helping them stay on this planet longer with a higher quality of life. And if that means that they want to stay on their chemotherapy, it's my job to make sure that I can formulate a natural healing plan around that uh, wish and, and choice so that uh, quality of life is maintained for as long as possible. And length of life could be uh, promoted as well. So, you know, as I've been saying, those people who receive intensive cancer treatments through the, the, what's known as the standard of care, the, the regular oncologists, the, the radiotherapy and the chemotherapy, they, they very commonly experience a decline in quality of life. I would have to say that's more the rule uh, than the exception. And because of, of these and other reasons, a significant minority of cancer patients seek out alternatives uh, to conventional cancer care. It's still a minority. It's astounding to me that the majority of people who have been diagnosed with cancer are entirely unaware of the, the magnitude of the scientific literature that supports the use of properly applied nutrition for reducing side effects of cancer care, for boosting the effects of radiotherapy and chemotherapy when used properly, and also improve quality of life and perhaps extent of life or lifespan. You know, there was a study, a survey actually conducted by the American Cancer Society that estimated that 9% of cancer patients use complementary therapies, only 9%. 
Some other investigators have placed the figure at anywhere from 10 to 60%, depending on who you're listening to. But it's not everyone, is my point. In a, in a more recent study conducted by New York Hospital, approximately 30% of the breast cancer patients interviewed reported that they had consulted uh, what, what they would consider non-conventional uh, therapists, uh, people like me. And nearly 25% of these people were receiving some form of non-conventional therapy, you know, whether it's shark cartilage or mushrooms or Chinese herbs or vitamins or, or minerals, things, things like that. And by the way, just as a side note, shark cartilage does not work. It never has. That was a, that was a sham. Okay, let's move on. Chinese herbs, as I mentioned, are, are commonly used and or various vitamin therapies. And, and lots of studies have estimated that 10 to 50% of cancer patients use some form of, of therapy. So depending on whose statistics you'd like to believe, somewhere in the 40 to 50% of those with cancer use some form of natural therapies. You know, what I find very interesting is that the United States Congress has estimated that two billion dollars uh, is spent annually on complementary uh, care treatments. A conservative estimate that 10% of cancer patients seek out complementary care would imply that every year more than 100,000 cancer patients in the United States are either treated by practitioners of complementary medicine or self-prescribed, you know, take supplements of their own. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of money being spent. It's also a lot of money being wasted if it's not used properly. Now, let's talk a little bit about what I call the clinical uh, efficacy of complementary uh, therapies in cancer care. You know, the widespread use of uh, complementary health in treating people with cancer raises a number of questions, a number of very important questions. One, one of these is certainly, you know, are these patients receiving any clinical benefit? This question is difficult to answer uh, since relatively few clinical trials have actually uh, been conducted to look at this. But there was one study that I'm aware of. Um, there's a few, but this one particular study I'm thinking of, they had 156 pairs of patients with documented extensive malignant disease and a predicted survival time of less than one year. And they were treated uh, either at a prominent complementary cancer clinic um, they, there was uh, this clinic was in California, where they were they were treated by conventional medicine. The complementary treatment consisted of immune enhancing vaccine, uh, vegetarian vegetarian diets, uh, coffee enemas, and some of those patients also received conventional treatments, primarily chemotherapy. Now both groups exhibited a mean survival. That means an average survival period of fifteen months. Of course, this trial did not reflect possible outcomes for patients treated with other complementary therapies. And also it doesn't reflect possible outcomes of people in the early stage of disease treated with these therapies. My point here though is that even though both groups had an average identical survival time of 15 months, those that did the natural therapies had a higher quality of life. You know, when it, when it comes down to it, it's just astounding to know that cancer accounts for at least 24% of all deaths in the United States and approximately 40% of the population will be diagnosed with cancer at some point in their lifetimes. Of those who are diagnosed with cancer, a significant minority are using natural health care uh, along with their conventional treatment. And this is something that needs to change. 
For those of you who are just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald. I'm the Director of Nutritional Therapies at Integrated Nutrition of Mount Kisco, located in an hour or so north of New York City. I am the, I'm your host of Ask the Blood Detective. To reach me with show topics or to schedule uh, as a patient with me, either at a distance or in person, you can call me at 914-552-1442. That's 914-552-1442. Do send me your show topics to the following email, info at blooddetective.com. That's info at blooddetective.com. So let's, let's talk about vitamins. 14 vitamins are known to be essential to human health and must be obtained from the diet and sometimes through nutritional supplements, particularly when we're dealing with cancer because pharmacologic levels of nutrients are often needed to combat the, what I call the, the mechanisms that underlie all cancers. Now, data from animal and in vitro experiments uniformly support the role of different vitamins in cancer. For example, the use of vitamin A in prevention and treatment of cancer, very important because vitamin A's preventative role is probably due to its ability to support what's called normal differentiation of cells. If cells are differentiated, think of that term as implying that the cell knows who they are, they're well differentiated. So if the cell loses its identity and and becomes de-differentiated, that's not a good thing. So any nutrient like vitamin A, vitamin D, zinc, um, melatonin that promote differentiation is a good thing. Vitamin A certainly does that. And vitamin A also probably plays a role in regulating something called apoptosis. And apoptosis is a fancy term for programmed cell death. You know, Cancer cells can die in a number of ways. One is apoptosis. And the other, and the other way that cells die, cancer cells die, is through necrosis. And the necrotic way of cell death is inherently toxic and not a good sign of survival. But apoptosis is programmed cell death. Now we know though that it takes high doses of vitamin A to cause differentiation of cancer cells. But high levels of vitamin A can also be quite toxic to the liver. So it's very, very important that a person begins with what I would call a modest dose of vitamin A, 25 to 50,000 international units. And I want to mention at this point the concept that I spoke about for an entire show previously, and you can look up my shows, by the way, on my website at www integratednutritionny.com or blooddetective.com. The two blogs on those sites are identical. And if you just scroll down, you'll see a show called Nutritional Synergism. The concept of nutritional synergism implies that we would combine supplements in such a way that they would work better together than they would alone Let me say that again. The concept of nutritional synergism implies that we can combine supplements in such a way that, let's say vitamin A with vitamin D, with safe doses, when we add those two together appropriately, rather than getting 
a 1 plus 1 effect and vitamin A plus vitamin D effect, 1 plus 1 equals 2, nutritional synergism would have these particular nutrients provide an anti-cancer effect of not 1 plus 1 equals 2, but 1 plus 1 equals 4, or 1 plus 1 equals 6. You get an, an ex, exponentially increased ability of these nutrients to work well. Now, I'm going to jump to another very important concept when it comes to nutrition and any chronic disease, especially cancer, and that is this. Again, this is what I would call a blood detective common sense moment here, folks, okay? And here it is. Research has demonstrated that in order for an individual with cancer to prop, to have a real anti-cancer effect of nutrition that could make some difference in reduction of morbidity and mortality is that they would need to combine a minimum of 36 different nutritional products. The nutritional synergism that is reached when one combines roughly 36 nutrients helps to produce a pharmacological effect in the blood of people with cancer and other diseases that can make a real difference. What I'm trying to say here, folks, is that on the one hand, there is a big misunderstanding out there, and I discussed this on my Nutritional Misconception Show. You can see that at the top of my blog at blooddetective.com that many of you out there believe that just because you take turmeric or you take shark cartilage, or you take omega-3 fats or vitamin C, that somehow that anti-cancer effect of those nutrients will miraculously occur. It doesn't work that way. Nutrients take several days, several weeks, sometimes even several months to reach therapeutic concentrations in the blood so that those concentrations can perfuse and saute your cells uh, to use a, a cooking term, so that the levels of nutrition are high enough to help right the wrong cancer mechanisms of cells. So, you might say 36 nutrients? A minimum of 36 nutrients? Absolutely. I provided a professional symposia, which I prepared for, for over a year. And I researched very heavily nutrition and cancer prevention, and especially treatment. And I learned something, and this was around 15 years ago, when I said to myself, I need to get better at helping people with cancer because the level of cancer care in nutrition is woefully inadequate. The, uh, the levels of nutrition that, let's, let's take turmeric for a moment because that's very big in the news. Scientific studies show, and my research has shown over all of these years and during the preparation of that symposia I just mentioned, that roughly three dozen or 36 nutrients are required to be combined so that you affect the major mechanisms of which cause cancer in the body. When it comes to turmeric, if a person were to want an anti-cancer effect of turmeric alone, they would have to take somewhere in the vicinity of 12,000 milligrams or 12 grams, okay? 1,000 milligrams equals one gram. Now, 
anyone who tries to do that will likely get very ill, will uh, probably experience uh, strong gastrointestinal symptoms, not to mention nausea and who knows what else. Those of you out there that are using turmeric, curcumin in your cooking, and maybe you're getting in a gram a day if you're lucky, maybe some of you are juicing and you're putting in a couple of scoops, you're getting closer. But turmeric does not affect the, all of the fundamental mechanisms of cancer. And I'm going to speak about what those are in a minute. There are three major mechanisms that underlie all cancers. And there are several nutrients, folks, that are needed to fully cover what is required under each of these mechanisms. So how do we then reduce the amount of turmeric one would need so that it's tolerable, but that the effect that you get is the same as if you were taking 12,000 milligrams or 12 grams. How do we do that? You guessed it, by considering nutritional synergism. So for example, when I produce custom-made products for my patients, because often that's required, because we're not just slamming a person with a bunch of nutrients that are said to be good for cancer. We have to consider the individual cancer of the person I'm seeing. I need to know what their chemistry tells me. I need to know about their family history. I need to know about the rest of their health history. I, want, I need to know their goals. I need to know about their lifestyle, lifestyle habits. Based on these and other factors, I figure out what I think are the best nutrients for this person. Then. I consider what the scientific and nutrition literature says are those top nutrients that should be considered for cancer. And sometimes you can't use them because maybe the, the patient that I see is on a certain medication that would be interfered with adversely with the nutrition. My point is sometimes you have to rule in and rule out different nutrients. At the end of the day, there's a formulation. If that formulation consists of 50 different nutrients that that person needs given their state of ill health and cancer, then taking 50 separate pills or even 30 separate pills is very difficult. Not only is it difficult, but people with cancer don't tend to feel good and they don't tend to tolerate gastrointestinally all this nutrition. Any one of you out there that's healthy that try to take the amount of nutrient a person with cancer would actually need to have anti-cancer effects would get sick trying. So if we have, if we want to reduce turmeric down from 12 grams to a half a gram, how do we do that and have the body interpret that half a gram as if it were 12 grams? Once again, you guessed it by combining the turmeric appropriately with other nutritional synergists that the literature says work, that the chemistry of the person says work, and their health goals, and is there chemo involved, and all of those factors, then I build that supplement at a compounding pharmacy with FDA-approved quality control so I know that what we're using is worth using. So one other last comment with this nutritional synergism. When you combine things appropriately, let's say we're thinking of you, we've combined all the nutrients you need appropriately. Because they're so smartly combined, you don't need a big handful of supplements twice a day. You might need four, five, six supplements twice a day because they're smarter when combined in this way.
And that's how nutritional synergism works in the real world for a sick person who can't take a zillion nutrients. So what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to go through different supplements. And I'm going to tell you some factors about them. For example, there's a study I'm looking at that obtained data from 25,000 volunteers. And they noticed that high levels of beta carotene, which is a precursor to vitamin A, was associated with decreased risk of lung cancer. That's a lot of people. And the thing you need to know about beta carotene is it can color the skin orange. That's a non-toxic reaction. And that beta carotene converts into or becomes vitamin A. One-sixth of the beta carotene you eat on average is converted into vitamin A. Another study showed that persons that had adequate levels of beta carotene in their blood, selenium, vitamin A, and vitamin E, and this was from 10 study populations for 10 cancer sites in the body, they had far lower risks of developing cancer than those who did not have these levels. And this is an example of the synergism uh, in the body. We have multiple nutrients here. We don't ever want to rely on any one nutrient ever. I see this this mistake a lot with vitamin C. I'll have people saying to me, oh, I get intravenous vitamin C, I only get vitamin C, or maybe there's some vitamin K put in there. Or, oh, then they'll tell me, oh, no, the doctor put um, some B vitamins. Okay, let me, let me let you know a little secret here, folks. I'm not saying that intravenous vitamin C is useless, because it's not. But the misinformation out there that reports that a person cannot increase their levels of vitamin C past the normal range by taking vitamin C by mouth are absolutely false. How do I know? Because I've checked these levels for years and years and years. So there's a lot of misconceptions out there. The other thing about vitamin C is this. Depending on the person you give the vitamin C to, in other words, depending on the environment that you're putting vitamin C into, vitamin C can act as a friend or it can act as a foe. Let me say it another way. If a person has cancer and we give them vitamin C either by mouth or intravenously, if that person is low in other antioxidants, that vitamin C can work as an oxidant in their body or it can work as an antioxidant. When we are using vitamin C for cancer, in general, we do not want it acting as an antioxidant. You heard that right. We do not want vitamin C to work as an antioxidant when someone has cancer. We want vitamin C to work as an oxidant. That's called the ascorbyl radical. Ascorbic acids, vitamin C. The ascorbyl radical is, is badass vitamin C, which helps to kill cancer cells and does not affect healthy cells. And by the way, this is important. It's a blood detective moment. <laughs> the reason why vitamin C and nutrition in general, like other antioxidants, will kill cancer cells when used in the correct doses and not healthy cells is because the cancer cells do not have a protective enzyme called catalase. So when they're exposed to high levels of vitamin C, for example, the vitamin C oxidizes the cancer cells and kills it. Is it going to kill every cancer cell? No, but neither, neither does chemotherapy or radiation. 
the healthy cells do have a protective enzyme called catalase. So very conveniently, nature has had it such that vitamin C and other nutrients will kill cancer cells and will not adversely affect healthy cells. Let's talk about the B vitamin folic acid for a moment. A person should never take folic acid in a supplement form. They should take it in the form known as the L5-methyl tetrahydrofolate form, which is the active form of folic acid. As long as the individual is not on a few forms of chemotherapy like methotrexate that affect folic acid in a particular way, if a, if a person is not on that drug and other drugs that affect what's called DNA synthesis, Folic acid can be very anti-cancer because it helps to repair damaged DNA. And damaged DNA in a cell sends the wrong messages to other cells, causing more cancer cells. The amount of folic acid should probably be an oral daily dose of at least 1,000 in the active form, with at least 1,000 of methylated B12 taken at the same time. If a person does not take B12 at the same time, they can uh, cause a B12 deficiency, which will cause a neuropathy or nerve degeneration that may not be reversible. Let's talk about coenzyme Q10 or ubiquinone. I never, never, never use ubiquinone. I use ubiquinol, a pharmaceutical grade active form of CoQ10. Uh, well, you can find some of these on my website at blooddetective.com that is about eight times more biologically available than CoQ10 in the ubiquinone form. So ubiquinol, good, okay? So CoQ10, it's called ubiquinone because it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere in the body. And it's a vitamin-like substance that plays an essential role in what's called mitochondrial energy production. It's also a very potent antioxidant. And we know that Declining levels of CoQ10 in the body are associated with the aging process in general, all sorts of diseases and problems, and, and, and cancer. So among other uses, CoQ10 in the ubiquinol form uh, has been studied as an adjunct therapy in individuals with heart disease. And due to its high metabolic activity, the heart requires large amounts of CoQ10. And lots of the chemotherapy used in cancer causes heart disease. So a person needs large amounts of CoQ10. Similarly, CoQ10 has been administered in cancer patients to successfully reduce chemotherapy-induced heart toxicity. It, it just saddens me when I have individuals that come to me and they develop all kinds of heart problems and I say, well, that's from your chemotherapy. And they'll say, well, I, what do you mean it's from my chemotherapy? And I say, well, we know it is from that. And they say, well, my, never, my doctor never told me that. And that's really unfortunate. Then I have to pull up the websites, which uh, simply show the side effects of the chemo, and it has it right there. So you want to pre-treat. And there's really no, there's no one I can think of that should not be taking a CoQ10, particularly in the ubiquinol forms at about 100 milligrams a day, unless the person is on a blood thinner, because CoQ10 can thin blood, which is a good thing for everyone else. So let's move on to something that is going to surprise you. I want to talk about metals and cancer for a moment. 
So metals are important in a wide variety of biological processes in humans, including uh, bone formation, uh, nervous system function, antioxidant synthesis, hormone action, and blood clotting. You're thinking, really, metals? Yeah. So let me tell you what metals are. The metals, selenium, yep, selenium's a metal, zinc and calcium are particularly important with respect to cancer, and we're gonna discuss these right now. First of all, numerous studies suggest there's an inverse association between selenium levels and developing cancer in the first place. Associations uh, appear to be particularly strong with cancers that are associated with a high fat, low fiber diet. And those would be breast cancer, um, colon cancer, prostate cancer. And the mechanism of selenium's reported protective effects is very likely due to its important antioxidant synthesis function. So have you ever heard of glutathione peroxidase? Glutathione peroxidase is the primary enzyme that converts hydrogen peroxide to water. And by doing that prevents a damaging process in the body called lipid peroxidation. And this enzyme is selenium dependent. If you don't have enough selenium, the enzyme doesn't work. If the enzyme doesn't work, then you have too many hydrogen peroxide molecules floating around damaging tissues. Also, if you inhibit, or the, what I should really say, the inhibition of lipid or bile acid oxidation may account for why selenium is uh, protective in uh, colon cancer and probably prost prostate cancer. Selenium deficiency inhibits what's known as macrophage-mediated tumor destruction. Say that time fast. And inhibits, I'll explain in a moment, and also inhibits tumor necrosis factor alpha production. So we need selenium so that on the one hand, we have enough tumor necrosis factor, which is anti-cancer. And also, if we don't have enough selenium, our macrophage ability does not work. Macrophages are cells that engulf, take in, swallow up, and eat tumors and cancer cells. We need that. And if we don't have enough selenium, we have a problem. I, I want to remind you folks, as we're talking about all the ways in which nutrients can help various mechanisms in cancer, that most of these are not known by oncologists. Oncologists are not stupid people. They may be ignorant people, but they're not stupid people. I've had many conversations with oncologists over the years. And for those who have uh, be, were able to stay in the conversation with me for more than about five minutes, they quickly recognized that there was science they just did not know, science they just did not learn in medical school, and science that their hospitals are not interested in because the treatment of cancer is through chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery. And chemotherapy is a multi-billion dollar industry. Let's move on to zinc, another metal. So zinc is required for nearly 175 enzymes in the body, which have to do with metabolism function and immune modulation, maintenance of skin, pancreatic health, uh, male reproductive organs, for example. Now, along with copper, Zinc is necessary for the production or the synthesis of something called superoxide dismutase, which is a ubiquitous compound. It's everywhere in the body. It's an enzyme that degrades hydrogen peroxide. 
Hydrogen peroxide's bad. So you got to get rid of that stuff, and you need superoxide dismutase to do that. And you can't, that enzyme doesn't work unless you have zinc around. So zinc is also required for proper functioning of T lymphocytes. So for people with mycosis fungoides, which is a uh, a cancerous, a precancerous condition of the skin that leads to lymphoma or non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And any skin problem, any, any cancer that involves the surface, any, any cancer that involves cells that need re- reproducing properly, zinc is needed. Now, zinc has a very narrow therapeutic range of action, folks. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that if you take the right amount of zinc, that means you get excellent immune-modifying effects. And as I was just saying, it helps the, the T cells, the T lymphocytes. Lymphocytes are antiviral cells, but they're anti-cancer cells work correctly. You need proper zinc. The dose could be anywhere from 25 to 150, even more of milligrams of zinc. And zinc needs to be used in a context with a proper supervision, folks, because I have seen zinc toxicity and it's not pretty. Now, on the other hand, zinc deficiency can lead to atrophy of the thymus gland. And the thymus gland is a gland in the neck that's, uh, you know, next to in the same location of, uh, as the thyroid. And it is an immune gland and it tends to shrink, uh, in adulthood. And of course, uh, medicine in all its wisdom says, well, that's a normal response because we see it happening in everyone. (laughs) Yeah, no. No, um, we need our thymus gland and we need zinc to help conserve our thymus. And zinc deficiency is probably the leading cause of atrophy or shrinkage of the thymus gland. Also, if we don't have enough zinc, we get a depression of what's called natural killer cells and lymphocyte activity. And this is what leads to all sorts of immune related cancers. You know, the average American uh, may be deficient in zinc because I have seen this time and time again. And the average, or I should say the recommended daily allowance is only 15 milligrams per day. That is not enough to be an anti-cancer dose. I should say that symptoms of zinc deficiency include uh, growth retardation, uh, weight loss or anorexia, skin lesions, non-healing of skin problems, hair loss, uh, diarrhea, loss of taste, loss of smell. And zinc's a cofactor for collagenase, which is why a person may not heal properly. And severe uh, zinc deficiency is thought to be uncommon in the United States, and I agree with that. Most of the deficiency I see is not severe, but it's severe enough to be a problem. And zinc needs to be used in combination with other appropriate immune modulators. Let's briefly talk about calcium. Calcium, like all nutrition, is a double-edged sword because, first of all, numerous studies indicate that calcium may inhibit colon cancer, and uh, specifically some human studies indicate that calcium may reversibly inhibit what's called hyperproliferation of of the colon cells. Hyperproliferation means too much of a good thing, and that could form tumors. And Calcium is thought to reduce colon cancer risk because the calcium binds with fat in the stool. They call that complexing. It complexes with fat in the stool, thereby reducing lipid damage. But if you take too much calcium, what happens, folks? 
That's right. For those of you who listened to my show on calcium a few weeks back, we know that calcium in excess will cause kidney stones, will harden joints causing arthritis, will harden arteries causing atherosclerosis, can promote breast cancer because the calcium can lay itself down in the breast causing calcium-laden breast cysts. So lots of problems with improper calcium use. Now let's move on. Let's move on to what are called flavonoids. So Flavonoids are also called bioflavonoids, and they're a group of over 4,000 naturally occurring what are known as phenolic compounds. I'm only giving you a little chemistry here, folks, because phenolic compounds are ring structures. They're, they're shaped like rings if you drew them on a piece of paper, sort of more like a stop sign, really. And the, the structure of these flavonoids cause them to require quite a bit of metabolism and digestion. And the reason I'm telling you this is because if you take, let's say, 100 milligrams of a bioflavonoid, by the time your body is done trying to manage that phenolic structure that I just mentioned, about half of that supplement you took is wasted. And you need to know this because flavonoids, first of all, where, where are they found? They're in a, a wide variety of plants, including most fruits and vegetables. So in citrus fruits, they may represent about 1% of the flesh material. Beverages such as uh, beer and tea, wine, coffee also contain considerable amounts of flavonoids. And the average daily dietary consumption of flavonoids is probably about one gram. But the thing about flavonoids, folks, that you need to know is that they appear to be the active constituent in numerous medicinal plants and plants that contain flavonoids are widely used in herbal medicine and you know herbal traditions all around the world for a reason. They work. If you take a good look at the descriptions for my detox, which I spell D-T-O-X, one, detox two, detox three, and detox four products on the Blood Detective website, you will see that I have very carefully packed these superfoods with flavonoids. Now, some of you also think that every powdered product out there is the same. All I can tell you is this. For the last couple of decades, I've put together ratios of different plant products, and I call them different things. My Detox 4, for example, is more of the green uh, colored products. And the Detox Three, I have more of the orange-colored plant products. And my Detox 2, for example, the purple ones. And my Detox 1, the red-colored ones. Now, most individuals that I see, I put them on my Detox 1 through 4 at a half of a scoop of each of these products mixed all together at once to taste because I want you to get as many of those 4,000 naturally occurring phenolic compounds. And that would be a good starting dose for most. If you're overweight by more than five pounds, then use one level scoop of my Detox 1, 2, 3, and 4 products. Just one caveat, if you're taking blood thinning medication, do not take these products without some supervision. So the thing about these flavonoids is there are different groups of flavonoids. Some are called anthocyanidins and others are called flavones and flavols and 
isoflavonoids and tannins. We don't have time to go into all those structures other than to tell you that of those 4,000 naturally occurring flavonoids or phenolic compounds, and I've just given you a couple of names, that they are in plant species. And the most, I think, the strongest way to help prevent and manage cancer and to improve one's general health and well-being, in addition to cleaning up your diet and lifestyle, is by taking superfoods. And I vouch for my own products because I know what's in them. Detox 1, 2, 3, and 4 that you can find on the Blood Detective website. The distribution, though, of these flavonoid compounds, it varies between different plants. So you'll have some in broccoli and some in cauliflower, for example. You don't want to, you want to have a wide variety of these plant foods. So, for example, citrus fruits contain high levels of of flavones and flavanols and green tea contains high levels of the catechins and the gallic acid phenolics and red, blue, and purple fruits such as berries, uh, pomegranates, grapes. They contain high levels of the anthocyanins and pine bark and grape seeds have more of the, of what are called the OPCs. So again, don't get confused. All these big names, you don't have to worry about it. If you take detox one, two, three, four, you're getting serious doses of these products and my products taste really good because I take them and I hate bad tasting things. I did a lot of taste testing on this. And remember what I said about the bioavailability of flavanols. Half of what you take, your body's gonna mess, it's just gonna mess up its metabolism. It'll, It'll waste it. So half of the ingested flavonoids are absorbed in the bloodstream ultimately through the gastrointestinal tract lining. And the other half are metabolized by the microflora in the, in the intestines. So when it, when it all gets said and done, the half a scoop you're taking will end up being a quarter of a scoop. But a quarter of a scoop of each of these Detox 1 through 4 products, which you get by taking a half a scoop of these products each, is a therapeutic dose. Unless you're overweight by more than 5 pounds and you go up to a scoop. Let's move on. And when it comes to juicing, of course, I'm a big proponent of juicing, and I have many of my juice recipes on my blog. Juicing is fantastic, but juicing does not come close to having the doses of flavonoids that you get from dehydrated superfood products like my Detox 1 through 4. So what I tend to do is I make my green leafy juices, and then I put a scoop, or I actually use a scoop uh, a day of each of my Detox 1 through 4 products, rather than drinking 12, 14, 20 glasses of juice a day, which many people with cancer are juicing, uh, are doing. And they, and they can't, they can't keep that up, particularly when they're not feeling well. It's just, just too much to, to consume. So the food concentrates matter. I need to take a step aside for a minute and remind you of something or introduce a new concept. And that concept is this. An individual with cancer may have a presentation where they have a lot of metastatic spread. Another individual might have a locally, or a tumor I should say that is, in a particular organ. And another individual with cancer may have some mix of both of those, along with 
evidence of new cancer cell formation. There are different nutri nutrients that deal better with each of these circumstances. For example, I have combined a number of nutrients that I use for joint health, but I also use for the research that shows they help reduce further spread of cancer. In order to do that, see, a tumor has cells, and those cells stick together. But those cells can become very friable. That means they can start to get loose from the tumor, and then they start to float around in the bloodstream or the lymphatic system. And the bloodstream and lymphatic system is just like the intestinal tract. It can get leaky, or I should say they can get leaky. So if one wants to reduce the spread or mitigate the spread of cancer, they would have to use nutrients that are shown to have a role in reducing the leakiness of both blood vessels and the lymphatic system. And while you're at it, the intestinal tract. So glucosamine sulfate, chondroitin sulfate, for example, uh, L-histidine, boron, yucca root, devil's claw, along with zinc and selenium in the right doses, vitamin A. These are just a few examples of nutrients that would be used for that purpose. Vitamin C also reduces the leaky tendency of the lymphatic system and the blood vessels. But also mushrooms do that as well uh, because of mushroom polysaccharides. And vitamin A in a particular form known as the atroform, very important natural compounds that affect the collagen that form the walls of the vascular system and the lymphatic system, which need repair. Because if they're leaky, folks, then the cancer cells that are floating around in those tubes leak out. They go out. That's called extrava extravagation. And then they'll find a new place to seed and form more tumors or metastatic spread and invasion. So when those cancer cells leak out of the blood or lymphatic system, that's called extravasation. And when they go into other areas, that's called intravasation. And it's important to know those things, at least for practitioners like myself, because there's different nutrition best for that. The last concept we'll probably have time for today is do natural compounds work as anticoagulants? And is that something we want in cancer? The answer is almost overwhelmingly yes. We want to use nutrients for anticoagulation effects because coagulation sticks things. Cells stick, cancer cells stick. They form a nidus to form new tumors. Increased viscosity or thickness of blood is generally associated with a low acidic pH and poor delivery of nutrition. So yes, for those and many other reasons, we want to use natural compounds as anticoagulants. So the flavonoids in all the plant products, we would use those. Uh, Astragalus membranicus, for example. Astragalus, very, very important as an anti-compound, an anticoagulant. Bromelain, which is a digestive enzyme, also acts as an anticoagulant. Curcumin, you better believe it acts as an anticoagulant. But again, you don't want to take 12 grams of, of curcumin. You want to take 500, maybe 1,000 milligrams along with some bromelain, along with a small dose of astragalus, along with uh, eicosanopentanoic acid, which is fish oil, and a little bit of feverfew. 
Get those flavonoids in there. Yes, garlic. Yes, Panax ginseng. Yes, resveratrol. I'm trying to get this all in. And yes, vitamin E in the right doses for the right person. We wouldn't want to throw all of those nutrients at a person all at the same time. It depends on the individual circumstance. So we need to use nutrition to prevent the formation of brand new cancer cells. That's initiation stage. We need to use nutrition correctly for the growth of tumors and the and nutrition to help offset the leakiness of the blood vessels and the lymphatic channels through which cancer cells can invade. And then, folks, cancer cells pile up on one another and pile up on one another and stick together. And, and that's what happens after the metastatic stage. So, you know, metastasis or, or cancer spreading is a very complex uh, process, which involves all of those different stages and others that I just mentioned. And successful metastasis can and, and requires all of those those things to happen: leaky blood vessels, cells sticking together, uh, DNA not repairing. But if we get a wide enough variety, not two, not five, not 10, not 20, not 30, but roughly 36 nutrients on average, then we can hit all of those different underlying cancer mechanisms for for successful adjunctive care for those with cancer. Well, I hope you enjoyed the information today. You find it practical. Please send me your show topics. Send me your comments. Post them up on my blog or my Facebook page at www.blooddetective.com or integratednutritionny.com. Go to the blog. Email me your show topics and questions or desire to become my patient either at a distance or in person. My email is info at blooddetective.com. You can call me too at 914-552-1442. That's 914-552-1442. For my next show, perhaps the next two shows, I've got students of natural health care that will be interviewing me, asking me one question after another of the common questions that they have as they enter the natural health care field. It's going to be a fascinating discussion. I hope you join me. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Have a wonderful day. Too late.